How's everyone doing today? Everyone doing all right? Waking up. Uh, I was glad to be back. I wasn't here last week, and that's always a um, just always a bad thing for me because I love being here amongst you guys. Uh, but uh, you know, sometimes I'm not able to be here. But I'm back. I'm excited. I'm here. Um, if y'all would please get your Bibles out. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, we have some for you at the end of the rows. Um, we're going through a lot of scriptures today, so, you know, listen fast. You know, I drank some really crazy coffee last night, and so I'm a little hyper today. I drink even more coffee right now. I'm running on a few hours of sleep. It's going to be a Java and Jesus kind of sermon, so if you're looking for a laugh, this is probably going to be one of those moments where you get a laugh. So this is going to be a good one. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of 2 Corinthians. That's where we're going to be starting off, and 2 Corinthians will be our launching pad for the rest of this sermon. 2 Corinthians. So as you turn out, let me just start off like this. Uh, for the past few weeks, we have been looking and going through this series uh, called The Thrill of Hope. And we've been going through the Christmas story and all the parts of the Christmas story. And if you're familiar with church, if you've grown up in church, you know this story. You know what happens. Mary, the Virgin Mary, gets, you know, with the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph comes along and helps raise the baby. And then the baby Jesus is born in the manger under the stars at night. All of that is great. So if, you, if you've ever been a part of church, you know that story. But we've been looking more specifically at the hope that you can find in the Christmas story and how that hope can transcend into our lives as we continue to look at it. Week one, we looked at the fact that our hope is not found in the things and the gifts and the, 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 the lights and the, the whole atmosphere of Christmas, but rather in God as he is our provider and our sustainer of our hope. Then in week two, we looked at the fact that the shepherds found hope that dark, lonely night. That the shepherds found hope, and that the same hope that they discovered on that night, that we can have that same hope. That hope that says that Jesus, even though he came to earth, that he was first announced to common, ordinary shepherds. The lowest of the low, he was announced to the lowest of the low. And if God cares about the lowest of the low, he certainly cares about us. Because if this is the lowest of the low, we might be like right here. And so we have the same hope that they have. Then last week, uh, we took a little break from it, and we heard a sermon from the Austin Stone Community Church in Austin, Texas. And Matt Carter gave us a sermon called From the Cross and From the Cradle to the Cross. And it was a great message that just reminded us that Christmas is not just about the birth of our Savior, but because he is our Savior, he had to die for us. And so Christmas is a great story, but honestly, it wouldn't mean anything if Jesus did not die for us. And so from the cradle to the cross is the completion of the Christmas story. It started off in the manger and it ended up on the tree hanging there, bleeding out for us. And we learned that because of that, we have great hope of salvation there. But this week, I want to dive in a little further into the birth of Jesus and more specifically the hope of the incarnation. The hope of the incarnation and the radical humility that comes from Christ being incarnated into the flesh. And how if we can look at that, if we look at Jesus and the humility that he had, that we can be a living example to everyone around us this Christmas season and for the rest of our lives. So uh, I think it's important for us to know this, though. I think it's important for us to study this. I think it's important for us to understand what humility really is. What humility really is. 
You know, it's, it's in a world that we live in today where humility is not even recognized or respected. Because the world we live in today, humility is not recognized or respected. Uh, just think about it. Some of our most famous role models in society are not humble, but they are selfishly ambitious, proud, and arrogant. They're the people that society looks up to because they shine the brightest. They're all about me. Look at what I have done. You see it in sports Sports heroes from across the, the leagues, MLB, NLB, all those NFL, all of those guys, most of them, sports heroes, most of our, our role models are, are selfish and not very humble. Actors and actresses, singers, entertainers, they all tend to have one thing in common. They are very high regard for themselves, and they have a great talent for self-promotion. I can't really blame them, though. I can't really blame them. They're just doing what society has taught them to do over the years. If you shoot stronger, if you throw the ball harder, you should be recognized for that talent, and you should promote yourself and do a good job, and people should praise you for what you do. It's just what society teaches us. I can't really blame them. But we see it all the time. We even saw it last Sunday. You know, every Sunday, if you watch football, after every touchdown, there's usually a celebration. Or if you watch the Cowboys game, if it's a field goal, because it takes them four quarters to score a touchdown, then, you know, every field goal, it's like, oh, here's three points. That was a joke. I'm, I'm really upset about my Cowboys not doing too good. But you know what? We're still in the playoffs. We still have a chance. There's lots of Hispanic Cowboy fans lighting up the candles for Dan Bailey right now and Tony Roman to get better. But that's another, that's another sermon. But prime example, coffee's getting to me. Prime example, last Sunday the Steelers are playing the Colts, right? How many of y'all saw that game? Steelers, Colts. Great game, right? And the Steelers are whooping the Colts, right? I think they're up 38 to 10. I mean, touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. They have won the game by the halftime already. And they're in like the fourth quarter, 38 to 10. And they do a kickoff to the Colts. I mean, they kick off to the Steelers. The Colts kick off to the Steelers. And um, I forgot his name. I think his last name was Brown. Catches the ball, runs it all the way back for a touchdown. Great job, right? Everyone's excited. Another touchdown. It's like 45 to 10 now, final score. Everyone's pumped up about that. But something happened at the end of the touchdown. How many of you guys watched that play? You know what I'm talking about. Okay? He runs back the touchdown. He runs back the kickoff. He makes the touchdown. And right where the actuals, uh, the uprights are at, the pole is at, he decides to go Wiley Coyote and just totally jump and, like, hit the pole like that. You know what I mean? And he kind of hugged it, and he made a fool of himself, and everyone just saw it, you know. Was it funny? Yes. Was it, was it necessary? No. Um, there was a girl standing on the other side of the pole. He actually grabbed her hair, and when he fell down, pulled her hair. It was just insane, okay? What did he do there? He stole the spotlight from everyone. It was all about him at the moment. Look at me, okay? They're up 38 to 10. Is there a need for grand celebration? Is there a need for this look at me mindset? He does this because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be all about him at that moment. But Jesus teaches us a different way. Jesus teaches us to live in a totally different way. Because if anyone had reason to steal the spotlight, it was Jesus. If anyone had reason to shine over everyone else in the world, it was Jesus. God in the flesh, the divine power wrapped up in human body and blood and bone and, and meat. God had the moment to shine. Jesus had every reason to come into earth and shine over everyone. But as you'll see, that's not what he did. It's not what he did. First of all, let's consider the humility 
of the incarnation itself. The incarnation basically means when Jesus came to earth, he was incarnate, he was born into this earth. The second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son, taking on all of humanity upon himself with all of its limitations, with all the pain and sorrow and suffering of this world, Jesus became flesh. Listen to the way Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So what does that mean, he became poor? What does it mean that he, he was rich and then he became poor for our sake here today? It means that he gave up all his honor and glory in heaven. He gave up all his honor and glory and he let go of his position. He relinquished all the riches and glory that he had up in heaven. And he did all of this to become one of us in order to save us from our sin. He gave up all that glory in order to become a human baby. Not, a, not even an adult. We know, you know, most of us think that, well, that's the way he had to come at the start. No, he could have came as an adult. He could have just, just popped up on the scene. He could have been like, who's that guy and made everyone believe who he was. He could have came as an adult. No, he came as a baby, though. As a young infant. Helpless little baby. It just blows my mind to think of Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, the person who had all of his heavenly glory, would just completely let go of it and entrust his life into the hands of a teenage mother and a really poor guy. He would trust his life over to common, ordinary folk. He would do that. I mean, think about it, church. He was unable to feed himself. This is God in the flesh, unable to feed himself, unable to move about by himself, unable to communicate or talk. He had to learn how to talk all over again. Unable to do anything except eat and sleep and dirty up his diaper, which was another act of humility. Having to have human beings, people that he created, change his diaper. And the irony of it all is that Jesus was totally dependent on the people that he created. Irony. Those hands that formed galaxies and stars. Those, those hands that, that spun the earth on his accents are now just moving around like a little baby inside of a cradle. The, the, the very same mouth that spoke the universe into existence, the very same mouth that breathed life into your lungs is now just cooing and giggling and laughing and maybe sometimes crying like a baby would. The sovereign Lord of creation has now become the very picture of weakness and powerlessness. The inability to do anything on his own, a simple baby. And then not even like a royal baby. I mean, like, you know, it would be one thing if Jesus said, I'm going to be born into like a rich family where I have maids and servants to kind of take care of me. No, he didn't even do that. He came as a common, ordinary baby born in a stinky old barn full of animal feces and like, you know, you know whatever type of goats and stuff all around there. If you try to have a baby and something like that today, they would probably get you for like health violations. You know, he came into this world in the dirtiest place he can think of. Very humble, very humbling for the king of kings, and he volunteered it for all of it, for you and for me. But the humility did not stop there. The humility did not stop there. In fact, as he grew older, it became even more and more present in Christ's life. 
Because as Christ grew older, he became subject to all the Old Testament laws. As he became older, he had to obey Old Testament laws, including the fifth one that says, honor your mother and father. Now, that's a thought-provoking, you know, thought right there. That Jesus Christ, is kind of funny, but that Jesus Christ had to obey and listen to his mom and to his dad the way you and me had to listen to our moms and our dads. Okay? If you think about it, though, Mary and Joseph were not perfect parents. Surprise. How many of you guys here are perfect parents? Thank you, Mike. Uh, you know, they were not all-knowing and all-wise. They weren't, like, incredibly smart people. In fact, they were pretty, pretty dumb people. You know, not dumb, but they were just common people. Joseph never got out of the trade of being a carpenter, okay? And back in the day, if you were a Jewish kid, you would go to school for the first five years of your life to be a rabbi. And if you didn't make the cut, then you went back to being whatever your dad was, or you had to pick a trade. The fact that Joseph was a carpenter tells us he was not a very smart guy. Listen, the fact that Jesus was a carpenter tells us that he did not pass all of his rabbi tests. I wonder why, why that happened, but he did not pass the test to be a rabbi. He became his dad's trade, a carpenter. See, they, they weren't sinless people either. Mary and Joseph were highly favored, but seriously, they weren't sinless people because they're not Jesus. For all the, uh, the people in here that believe Mary was some type of special woman, she, she was as screwed up as many of y'all women are. No offense. She had hormones. I mean, she had her, her, like, her like, messed up thinking sometimes. She was crazy. You know, women are like, oh, why are you picking on me? I'll pick on the men just a little bit, I promise you, okay? There must have been times when Joseph had a bad day at work. Okay, when Joseph had a terrible day at work and he was just upset because the table he made wasn't the right table or the cabinet he made wasn't the right size or a customer griped him out or he had like back-to-back orders and he came into work and here's Jesus coming up to run the play with his dad and he's like pulling on Joseph's like, you know, his, his shirt and he's like, no, what, just back off. Like, I'm not, just leave me alone. You know, leave me alone. I had a long day. Just go do something. Go play in your room. How many dads tell your kids that? Come home. I'm just like, leave me alone. I've had a hard day. Okay? You don't even know what I've been through. Just, just give me a moment. Joseph did that. I'm pretty sure he did that to Jesus. Rejecting Jesus right there in front of him. There must have been times when his parents disciplined him unfairly out of anger, of frustration. Can you imagine Jesus and all of his brothers together playing? And then like, you know, James is like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to steal the last piece of bread from the bread box. And then he steals it. And Mary's like, who stole the last piece of bread? And James is like, Jesus, you know. And Mary's thinking like, I don't know how that could be. He's got you know, God in the flesh. I know that. But uh, James, I'm pretty sure you're a good kid. And James is like, mm-hmm. And so they take Jesus and they probably laid him on, up, across Joseph's lap and they probably spanked him and disciplined him because they don't spell the rod back in Jewish times. That's the, the, the humility that we see Jesus going through. Jesus was just like me and you. The same things that we went through he went through. I got my butt tanned a couple of times. One time my grandma spacked me across the head with her, with her mesquite cane. Hurt. I'm pretty sure Jesus' grandma did that to him. I'm pretty sure a couple of times. Can you imagine? Jesus is like there. They're fixing to take water. He's like parting the water. She's like, and she's like, stop it. You know, like, I can just see that. But Jesus was sinless, though. Jesus was sinless. This is going even further. Jesus was sinless, which means that he was a perfect and obedient child. Most of the time, probably. Perfect and obedient child, not only to God, but also to his parents. 
So can you imagine having to subject, he had to subject himself to people and respect them who he knew were wrong. He had to respect and, and, and subject himself to parents who he knew were flawed. People like me and you who make mistakes. But because he was obedient, he went along with it. That's humility. That's humility, knowing they were sinful. Knowing that whenever, whenever they were disciplining him, going to discipline Jesus for what James did and lied, he had to go through it. That's humility. The God in the flesh humbled himself to the subjection of sinful people. That's humility. Now, here's a question for you. Have you ever had to submit to your someone in authority whom you were convinced was your inferior? Like, have you ever had to submit to someone who you knew you were better than? Who you knew you did a better job at? You had to subject yourself to someone who you knew was always wrong and you were always right and you just didn't feel like that, but you had proof that you were always right. Sarah and I do this all the time, you know, and that's just the way it goes. Maybe you're a kid and you have to subject yourself to a parent who just did not understand. But mom, I want to do this. Mom, I want to. No, 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 no. And you're like, but what's the danger? I, no, you can't go across the street. You know, whatever it is. A supervisor at work who has obviously been promoted beyond his ability. You're sitting there, you're like, man, this guy doesn't know squat about the job. He doesn't understand the trade. I've been here a lot longer because this kid was, you know, someone's son or nephew or something. He got promoted, and he doesn't know what he's doing. If it wasn't for me, he wouldn't even have a job here. But I have to subject myself to that person's authority. A police officer who can judge and seem extremely incompetent. The officer is only going two miles over the speed limit. No, you're going to get a ticket, you know. A teacher or a professor who thought they knew it all. You know, you, there was always that one teacher that no matter how, how liberal you tried to be, no matter how outside the box you tried to think of, he would never let you grow in that area. It was his way and only his way. Or a husband whose ignorance was only matched by his stubbornness. How many of you guys know who I'm talking about? Husbands who just do not listen. A lot of Hispanics deal with that, right? We're like, no, we're right. Well, no matter how wrong you are, we are right. If the house is on fire, it's not on fire. I got it under control. If we are lost and looking for directions, we are not lost. We are fine. I don't need no, no, I don't need no garland. I don't need no GPS. No necesito Siri. I'm okay. I don't need that. I'm fine. You know, we're not like that. Us men are stubborn. But yet wives are having to go along with it and subject to that. Sadly. I think we can all take a little heart and take a little example from Christ here. Because everyone who came into contact with Jesus was truly inferior to Jesus. Like Jesus didn't meet anyone who he could look up to and say, I respect you as someone of authority who I know is higher than me. No. Everyone Jesus met was below Jesus. Everyone. Yet he never grumbled. He never complained. He never rebelled. Instead, he humbled himself and he was willingly yielding to the authority that was set before him by sinful men. He humbled himself. He respected their authority, not because they were necessarily needing authority or deserved authority, but because it was the right thing to do according to his father. And it was by his power, and it's by that power that he has that we can show the same respect and humility to people around us who necessarily don't deserve respect. We can live a life of humility even when we're convinced that the people around us are wrong. And we can be humble in our actions 
Humility was something that Jesus dealt with for 33 years of his life. And he not only modeled it in the way he lived, he taught it to his disciples. In Mark 10, 42, y'all can turn there if you want. Mark 10, verse 42, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's talking to them about humility. He says this in Mark 10, verse 42. It says, And Jesus called them his disciples. He called all of his disciples to him, and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Church, you got to know this. you got to know that. That just as Jesus humbled himself by becoming a helpless human infant, just as he humbled himself by honoring and obeying his parents, and ultimately he humbled himself by giving himself to die on the cross, just as he did that, so are we to humble ourselves and our relationships with one another in order for us to be the light of the world, the hope of everything that Christ came to die for. We have to humble ourselves and be servants just as Christ was servants to everyone else. If Jesus was willing to give up his privileges, his deity, his glory in order to become one of us, in order to forgive us for our sins, then we in the same way should follow Christ's example and respond to one another, not in overbearing authority, but in humility to one another and in love to one another. Because after all, that's where unity comes from. When we subject ourselves to the authority of one another and we see each other as equal and we, humi- and we, live, humility, uh, uh, we live in humility with each other, then we can become one with everyone else because we see each other as equal. We have a respect for everyone. Beloved church, the hope of the incarnation for us is found in the humility of the incarnation. The hope of of the incarnation for us is found in the humility of the incarnation, the example of dying to oneself for the sake of everyone else. That is is awesome. I mean, that gives me hope to picture a city, a church, a community who is willing to die to themselves to lay aside selfishness, to lay aside all their greediness, to lay aside all of their pride for the good of everyone around them. That gives me hope for the world. Now, if you're taking notes, I've got three ways to know if you're living in humility as Christ did. The first thing is this. The way we can know that we are living in humility the way Christ is, is that humility is not pretending. Humility is not pretending. It's not acting as if you're something less than what you really are. Okay, so like if you're a a top-rate guitar player, you're a really good football player, you're really good at whatever you're doing, right? And someone says, man, you're a really good guitar, man, that was really good. Don't come back and say, well, you know what, I'm not really not that good. It's it's really not that good, you know? Like, that's a straight-up lie, okay? That's a straight-up lie. If you can shred on the guitar, if you can play classical music or whatever, you know, classic rock, whatever you want on the guitar, and you're good at it, You're good at it. Don't tell people you're not good at it because that's a lie. Instead, be understanding that it is something that God has given you. 
All that means is that understand that, that you should be able to look at your talents and say, God gave me this talent. Thank you for, for, for the compliment. Check out what Romans 12 says about all that. Romans 12 verse 3 says, for by, grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think of, but to think with sober judgment, to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, through many, though many, are in one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. It says that we are all sinners, and we are all deserving of God's judgment, but who have been forgiven in Christ, and we are blessed with gifts and abilities through Christ. So humility does not mean prancing around saying, I'm the best. On the other hand, it also doesn't mean going around saying, oh, woe is me, I suck at everything I do. And you really know that you don't suck at everything you do. Humility means this, that we should be evaluating ourselves with sober judgment, acknowledging the gifts and abilities that God has given us and recognizing that they come from God to serve one another. If you play really good guitar, you should be using that talent to serve one another. If you play really good football, what are you doing to honor God on the football field? What are you doing to honor God in your life? If you're really good at what you do at work, what are you doing to honor God instead of honoring your own bank account? What are you doing? If you're a great mother, what are you doing to uh, invest in the lives of children who aren't necessarily your children? What are you doing with with the things that God has given you? The second thing that, that we can know if, if we're living in humility is that humility means recognizing that all your gifts come from God. All of your gifts come from God. You might say, well, I work hard to play guitar. I worked hard to learn how to run that route in football. I worked hard to be where I am today as a woman, as a mother, as, as, as a, a you know, self-employed businesswoman or a, a self-employed employer of my own business. I worked hard for that. Yes, but God gave you everything you needed to work hard for to achieve those things. It all came from God. This reminds us that our abilities and our achievements are no reason to puff ourselves up or act as if we somehow deserve all the credit that we have. But in in other words, we should be able to look at those abilities, know that they're from God, and say that we can honor and praise Him through those. We see Him as another reason to worship God. We see those things as another reason to worship God. It doesn't matter what you're good at, sports, music, business, Maybe you can operate business really good. Maybe you're really organized. Maybe you're good at debate. Maybe you're like a lawyer or or, or a wife or something. I don't know. Maybe you're really good, you know. Maybe you're good at hard working. Okay, maybe you're a good, you know, a skill or a trade. You're a a carpenter or a welder or something like that. You're really, you're a mechanic, whatever it is. You're really good. Maybe you're just good at school. Maybe you know how to study. You know, learning how to study is a trade, I think. Because you have to know how to study. Maybe you're smart and you know how to study. Whatever your ability is, rejoice in the fact that God has given it to you and praise him and worship him for the fact that you are good at whatever you do. It gives him honor and glory. And the third thing is this. The third way that we can know that we are living a life of humility is if we are putting the needs of others ahead of your own. If you're putting the needs of others ahead of your own need. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing, do nothing from selfishness and selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant as yourself. You're like, I can do that. It's harder to do it 
than you think. You're like, I can do it. I, I do it to my family all the time. Yeah, but have you ever tried to do something uh, and meet the needs of someone else above your own to someone who you really don't like? Maybe it's that person in the church that you feel needs a little extra grace. Maybe it's that person at the workforce where you just cannot stand to be around. When you know that you're living in humility is when you put the needs of other people above yours. That means that you consider it a privilege to give up your time, to give up your resources, to give up your energy, your finances, and even more. To give all that up for, the, for your brothers and sisters in Christ and even those who aren't followers of Christ. It means that instead of walking around expecting everyone else to serve you, you instead treat others as if they deserve to be treated by you. That means that you don't deserve everything that you, that you feel like you deserve. That means that you have this mindset that every day that you walk out that door, you are going to serve someone else. You're going to be a light to that person. It means that we consider their needs and their interests to be more important and more urgent than even our own needs and our own interests. That starts off with your family. Dads, your kids need you when you come home. Just like Joseph but no, don't do that. Just like when I tell my kids, I have to check myself at the door that my personal time does not get started until everyone is asleep. Now I have my time. And by that time, I'm going to go to sleep too. Moms, your kids need you. Husbands, your wife needs you. Your wife needs you to lead that family. Women, wives, your husband needs you to respect him, understand him, love him through their flaws. We have a lot of freaking flaws. But when you put the needs of someone else above you, that is when Christ shines the brightest through your family. I'm telling you because I've seen it in my family. Listen, humility is not reaching down to serve someone inferior to yourself. Humility is recognizing that before God we are all of equal worth. So we have no reason to boast. Therefore, serving one another is not just a duty or an obligation. It is a great privilege because you're doing something great for someone else because God is delighting in the fact that you're loving someone else above yourself. It is a privilege to serve God's people with the resources and abilities that he has given you. This church is a great place. It is a petri dish for serving people. If you want to serve someone, this is the place to do it. We, can, we just raised $400 for stockings for kids and the Corpus Christi Women's Shelter. That's awesome. We're fixing to do lots of more great things this next year, lots of more outreaches. The best is yet to come. If you want to serve someone above yourself, this is the place to do it. And finally, the fourth way, the fourth way that you can know that you're living a life of humility the way that Christ desired it is this. It's accepting the fact that God's love and forgiveness is a gift of grace. God's love and forgiveness is a gift of grace, and you must accept that to be humble. Do you recognize the fact that there is nothing that you can do to earn God's love or deserve God's respect or deserve God's grace in your life? Do you know that? So many of us struggle with this. We struggle to realize that we can just freely accept God's grace. Okay, we, and we try so hard to gain love and acceptance by doing good works. We think, well, if we go to church, if we read our Bible, if we live the perfect life, if my life is in perfect order, then God will love me. God does not look at you and say, oh, look at this great precious gem. I'm going to like, you know, because he's so valuable, I'm going to take him and I'm going to die for him. No, he looked at you and say, this dirty, ugly thing right here, I'm going to die for it. And because I die for it, then it will gain value and become great. 
Do you realize that? Do you, but so many of us struggle with that. We think we have to be good before God can love us. But in reality, let me just kind of throw this out there. Because we can go on the tangent and say, no, you don't have to. You know, it's not by, by works. It's by faith. We can go on that tangent. and A lot of people do. But let me go on this side. Let me say this. Could it be that maybe you're just too prideful to admit that you need Jesus? Men struggle with pride, and women do too. Could it be that maybe we're just too darn prideful to admit that we need Jesus? Could it be that you don't, that, that you don't want to admit the fact that you don't have it all together? Could it be that you don't want to admit the fact to all your family, your friends, your church family, that you don't have it all together? Could it be that your family, your marriage, your finances, your struggles, your temptations, your sins, that all of that is out of control and you cannot control it? As much as you try to control it, as much as you try to act good, no matter how much you try to go to church or you try to read your Bible or you try to say your prayers or you try to do all those things, you try to do everything right, could it just be that you're missing the one point that there is nothing that you and I can do to earn the love of God and if we're just too prideful to where we can lay our humility aside and say that we accept the fact that Jesus loves us for who we are and it's through that process of him loving us that we gain value in his sight. Could it be that we're just too prideful? None of them you actually have control of in your life. Your family, your struggles, all that, you have no control over that in your life. And maybe you're just too prideful to admit that you can't fix your own life. And you need the gift of God's grace. Beloved church, I want you to listen to this. It is a free gift given to us. It is the greatest gift you can receive this Christmas holiday to understand that you are loved and accepted for Christ. No matter what you have done in the past, no matter what you're doing currently, no matter what you're going to do tomorrow, that God has sent his son to heaven in the form of a baby to lay aside all of, of his humility to come and die for you. If you would just lay aside your humility and accept that in your life. Once we truly understand God's grace, once we truly humble ourselves and accept the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, then he can continue and start working in our lives. That is the hope of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The fact that he laid aside his pride, became humble to come to earth for us. The hope that if we humble ourselves as Christ did, submit to his authority as Christ submitted to the authority of his parents. Love others above ourselves the way Christ loved others above himself and die to ourselves the way Christ died for us on that tree at Calvary. If we surrender to live in humility as Christ lives in humility in the past, then we can understand the fact that he has come to die for us and we can have that grace and that hope in our lives. And I'll leave you with this challenge. Scripture tells us in 2 Chronicles, you don't have to turn there, just listen. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Are you ready to be humble? Are you ready to humble yourself before the Lord here today? Are you ready to lay aside your pride and say, I am, I am just prideful and I'm tired of trying to do things on my own? Are you ready to do that today, church? In a moment, we're going to worship just one more time and we're going to be dismissed, but I'm going to stay up here. 
And if you need to come up for prayer, everyone's going to have your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you need to come up here for prayer during that time of worship, I'm going to be here for you. I would love to pray for you, lay hands on you, just kind of love on you. But I feel as if we need to fully understand the fact that we are not perfect today, that we did not have it all together. And it is okay to be broken. It is okay to be a little humble here today and accept the fact that Christ has loved us for being humble. Amen? take this moment to humble ourselves, to turn from our wickedness, to confess and receive the hope of the incarnation. Let's pray. God, we give praise and thanks for your son, Jesus Christ. Give praise and thanks for the the distance he had to go. The distance that he had to go to humble himself before man so that we can have an eternity set before us. Lord, we give you such praise for that today. We just want to say, if you're here in the room, if you, if you need that relationship, if you need to re- reconcile that relationship, if you need to, to get things right with Jesus, may you just do that before you walk out that door. May you say, Lord, I humble myself before you say, no matter where if you're at your chair, if you want to come up and start praying with me during worship, whatever it is, if you want to humble yourself before Christ, may you do that. And listen, church, hallelujah, we have a Savior, amen? We have a Savior who is willing to go the distance for us. In Christ's name, we humbly pray. All God's people said, amen. Let's all stand up and worship. If you need to pray, I'm up here for you. Hallelujah, what a Savior.